Kings Insider Podcast on CSNCalifornia.com. Introducing your host, Sacramento Kings Insider, James Ham. Welcome to the Kings Insider Podcast on CSNCalifornia.com. I am James Ham, your host. Joining me today, the big nasty Corliss Williamson, assistant coach for the Sacramento Kings. Corliss, how are you? Doing well, James. Thanks for having me on your show. It, thanks for dropping by. We've had you in in the past uh, on, on a different show, but this is a new it's a new format, it's a new show, and I love having in assistant coaches, especially guys who work one on one with with guys like Demarcus Cousins. I know he's one of your your guys that you're working with all the time. But this team had a huge night on Wednesday night. They they beat the Los Angeles Lakers. They now own the eighth spot in the Western Conference playoffs. How what is the feel around this team? How is the team handling the the recent success? I mean, is this a good vibe around this team right now? Yes, I think our guys are feeling pretty good right now. Um, it's been ten years since we've been in the eight eight spot for the playoffs, so uh, that was a goal of ours to try to get there. But you know, we still know there's a long season ahead of us. Uh, we're not satisfied. We know we have to keep fighting. There are other teams that are fighting for the spot as well. So. Um, to be happy with where we are at this point, yes, we are. We've made some improvements. We're playing well as of late, but we want to continue to uh, to get better each day in practice and, and improve it in the games and hopefully uh, move up and, and get better. Part of the improvement this month, you, you guys are 6-3 and three in the month of January. You're seeing DeMarcus Cousins play at an otherworldly level. I don't think we've ever seen him play this well. He's averaging almost 32 points, almost 14 rebounds a game in the month of January. What is it that you're seeing from him specifically that's changed? Maybe a light bulb going on. Maybe for me on the outside, you know, spending time with him though, he seems like a lot of the stress and sort of the pressure that's been on him before seems to be lifted. What is it that you're seeing? Uh, he just seems to be uh, focused. Um, he's a lot more focused now. Not to say he wasn't before, but it just seems like he's, like you say, he's on this tear right now, and, he, and his his focus or his approach to the game has just been kind of different. Um, you know, a lot of that you can look at Rondo. I think his leadership out there, making sure that Demarcus gets the ball in the spots where he's comfortable, I think that has a lot to do with it. But um, you know, he's starting to feel comfortable with our offense. Coach Carl has put in an offense that, that's free flowing that gives Demarcus an opportunity to take advantage of his strengths. And I think the market is starting to figure it out now. And as you can see now, he's he's going inside and outside. So uh, it's very difficult to guard a guy with his size and has that ability to score in those areas. Are you seeing his body? He's in better physical condition now. He has attributed some of his success to healing up. But do you think right now mentally and physically he's probably the best he's been, at least this season, but maybe even as a pro? Uh, yes, best he's been this season. I know. I mean, I know he's had some some good years uh, for us in the past, but um, as far as this season goes, this is the best he's playing. I mean, when you look at him on the court, he's moving a lot better. 
Um, a lot of that has to do with his health. I mean, he's starting to feel better about that. Uh, he's in shape now from, you know, when the time he had off and missing those games early in the year. So uh, once you get in that rhythm and you, and you get in the feeling, feeling good about yourself on the court, it's hard for people to guard you and he's taking full advantage of it. You know, you mentioned Rondo's leadership a, few, a minute or two ago, and what is he like to have on a team? Because his personality is huge. I mean, you see it. He he is a coach on the floor, but I mean, that is it's still it's a he's a big personality. And in all of your years of playing, is there anyone that you ever played with that reminds you of him? Not so much as a player, but as a personality within a team. No, no, he, he has a unique personality. Um, you know, he sees the game uh, in a different way than most players do. I mean, he, he kind of looks at it from a perspective as a coach. So, uh, you know, he, he's strongly opinionated about what he thinks um, should happen on the court or go on. And, you know, it's a good thing that Coach Carl has open dialogue with him and they're able to have those discussions or we're able to have those discussions as staff with him. And, uh, you know, he, he's, he's willing to accept, you know, our, our viewpoints, and sometimes we accept his. And so working relationship there has been good for us. You know, you bring up sort of his his ability to coach and to lead. He does a lot of that with your players as well. Is that a different thing that you have that you, I mean, have you seen a player who gets so far into sort of teaching Willie Cauley-Stein how to actually, you know, watch game footage and, and to, to prepare for games and, and other things like that. Have you seen a player that's that involved? I mean, I, I've seen some uh, – I've played with some great point guards. You know, I look back at you know, Chauncey Billups. Uh, I also talk about Mike Bibby here. Um, all those guys, um, you know, were able to, to talk to their players and teach their players. Uh, about the game, but uh, this is the first time I've seen someone like Rondo. I mean, he, I think he probably watches film more than, than the coaches. So uh, he knows what he's talking about. He's willing to bring those young guys in the gym after practice or late at night and try to work with them and show them things that, that he sees that can improve upon on the court. So he's very unique in those areas. Now, on the defensive end, he struggled a bit of late. I mean, there's no question that he he's not the defender he was as a younger player. But your team as a whole is improving dramatically. I think at this point they're 22nd in the league in defensive rating, which is huge compared to where you were even a month ago. How much of that do you attribute to Willie Cauley-Stein's presence? How much of that do you contribute to just having enough time in the pot to simmer and really understand the defensive scheme that George is trying to implement into the system? You know, I, I think um, you know our team is finally starting to understand uh, the concepts that we want defensively uh, is different than what we've had in the past in some areas. Um, so it took guys, you know, a little time to buy into it and to really understand it. You know, after watching, you know, countless hours of film, you know, they finally get it and understand it. And then you throw in the addition of Willie, uh, who's back from his injury, uh, that gives us that extra that extra rim presence, somebody that can protect the rim for us, and you can also step out on the floor and guard perimeter players. So uh, that really gives our defense a chance to uh, to change and make adjustments along the way, and and be a little different than most teams. You guys are a little different than most teams. Have you been around a system that's like this where you're switching all the time and? Uh, I mean, it really feels like the players took a long time to know when they should switch and when they shouldn't switch or where they should go once they do switch. Have you been around a system like this? 
No, no, it, it's been a while. I mean, when, when I played in Detroit, uh, we were able to switch a lot with me playing small forward spot. You know, I was able to switch with some of the guards as well as some of the uh, the big guys. So that was about the extent of it. And uh, to come here, um, you know, under Malone, we never did a lot of switching. But, you know, with the team we have now, we're very versatile across the front court and back court where guys can switch. And, you know, we, we – Tinkered around with it early in the season, had some success, struggled a little bit, but now the guys are starting to figure it out and taking pride in when they do switch. So I, I think that's why you see that improvement. Okay, so you have been around George now, but also other coaches with the Sacramento Kings. This is actually your third stop in Sacramento, which is crazy to think of. Uh, but <laughs> how has that relationship been with George and trying to implement yourself into a coaching staff that really you're the only holdover from the Malone era. Uh, you're the only one that's, that's left, and he brought in all of these other guys that he's worked with you know, for years in the past. How has that been for you? It's been good. It's been a good process for me. Um, you know, coming in under Malone, learning the NBA, our defensive system one way, uh, then having an opportunity to work with Coach Carl, learning you know his defensive philosophy as well as his offensive philosophy, which is different than than Mike's. Um, it's been good for me. Uh, it's helping me grow as a coach. You know, he gives me a, a voice on this team. Um, not to say it was easy in the beginning, uh, trying to change up and change my views of what I was taught the previous two years, but uh, sticking in there, I was like the players, you know, just trying to get a feel for it, buying into what he was talking about, what he wanted us to do, and um, see the fruits of his labor. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to be a part of his staff and the things that I'm learning now are definitely going to help me. He's kind of like an evil genius. He's got all these these schemes and ideas that are racing in his head. Have you been around a coach that, that does that, that really has a different way of looking at the game, maybe even different than, than anyone that you've ever seen where he, he really has – like some different conceptual ideas that are groundbreaking and push the envelope on the NBA game? Well, I mean, I've played for some great coaches. and You know, most of the coaches I've played for uh, were kind of strict or rigid in what they wanted to do, you know, um, have some great offensive-minded coaches. But uh, being here under Coach Paul, just, just being able to uh, to learn from him, uh, I guess you can call it um, organized chaos at times. This is some of the things that he, that goes on in his mind. Sitting down, listening to him talk and discussing basketball, you know, you learn, I've learned quite a bit from him, and um, you know, he's very unique in his coaching style, and he's been very successful with it. All right, so on and off over the last, we said you've three times you've been in Sacramento. You were drafted as what a 22 year old out of out of Arkansas into uh, into Sacramento. Uh, you were there for that first playoff run. How much does the playoffs mean to a city like Sacramento that really has nothing else outside of, you know, a little bit of soccer now and a little bit of minor league baseball? But this city seems to really, like, come to life during playoff time. Oh, yeah. I mean, the city is is awesome when it comes to playoff time. I mean, they're awesome year-round, but they really have a feeling and understanding that when the playoffs – Kid, they know how special that moment, uh, how special that time is, and uh, the fan support that that we had. Uh, my first go around here, even when I came back, uh, my second stint as a player uh, when we made it to the playoffs. Just the feeling 
uh, walking into um, the sweet train arena uh, and, and to feel the electricity, you hear those cowbells. I mean, it, it's nothing like it. It's just almost to me like a college atmosphere, March Madness. You, you feel that energy and intensity from the crowd. All right. So, again, you were there for 95-96. You were there for the start of the 98-99 season, that that run, that, that great eight-year run. And you were there at the end. You retired the year, that, the last time Sacramento Kings actually made this the playoffs in 2005-2006. What is your greatest memory of this building and sort of this community with all of these stops that you've had here? Well, um, you know, it, it's... It's kind of hard to pick just one moment. I mean, just, you know, I look back uh, my rookie year, just the first time I was able to step on the court after missing 13 games uh, due to a back to back surgery. I mean, that was a, a great moment for me to, to finally have my, my chance to, to play in the NBA. So uh, that may have been probably the best moment for me. But, um, you know, we talked about the playoffs, you know, uh, Seattle, Utah, uh, the Lakers. I mean, it was just, it was just wonderful to be a part of that, be a part of the, the franchise when it went through some bad times, but also as it was continuing to get better each year and, and move forward to uh, being a successful franchise again. All right. Well, thank you so much for dropping by, Corliss Williamson. You've seen three owners come through, countless front office people, countless coaches. Uh, it's always good to have someone on who's been through sort of the wars of Sacramento like a lot of these fans have. Oh, thank you. It's my NBA hometown. Um, you know, it's always Sacramento's always had a special place in my heart. And I always felt like this is uh, this is going to be a part of my life forever. And I enjoy being here with the Kings. Thanks for having me on, Jack. Welcome back to the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. I am James Ham. Joining me as always, Mr. Aaron Bruski, NBC Sports. AB, what's going on? I, I'm really glad that the Kings played the way that they did tonight because I, I was hoping that um, we wouldn't have to be breaking down some chaotic loss. And so uh, thank you, Kings, for doing that. I can't imagine a chaotic loss with the Sacramento Kings, Aaron. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? <laughs> you want the real answer? <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, we're not going to talk about losses. And you know why? Because the Kings haven't lost. The Kings are a whopping 4-0 over the last four games. They're 7-3 and in the month of January. They currently hold the eighth spot in the NBA, the Western Conference. And let's see, they are 19-23 and on the season. Things are looking up in Sacramento. Aaron, what is the biggest takeaway, the biggest surprise that you have in this four-game winning streak that the Kings are currently on? Uh, the biggest takeaway is that DeMarcus Cousins is pro- he's progressing as a leader, and this team is gelling, and they're overcoming and, and kind of seeing their way through these various storms. And that, beyond anything else, is the most important thing. Uh, the other takeaways is that it's taking it's taken them a half a season to realize that throwing the ball to DeMarcus Cousins in the post is a good thing. Um, they did it tonight, and, and it was the turning point in the game. Um, but they're still shooting themselves in the foot 30 times a game on the offensive side. And the defensive side of the ball is not pretty, um, though they, they look pretty good tonight. Uh, so those are the takeaways that... Well done. 
you know, they've survived. They're they're ahead of expectations. And uh, I, you know what? If they played the way that they played tonight during the third quarter, I wouldn't even take my 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 47 off the board. I think they're that good. I don't think they will play that way. And I think 47 is off the board. But I think that they they showed me a lot tonight. Wait a second. You're taking 47 off the board, but you've been sitting on 47 forever, Aaron. Wow. No, no I took I'm 47 confused. off the board two weeks ago. Oh, my goodness. It's like statistically impossible. They can't do it. But, well, I but don't I, think it's statistically impossible, but it's it's not a uh, an easy road. The road to thirty three. <laughs> thir- the Kings are on pace to win thirty seven point one games, and, and and that for for myself and quite a few of you out there, that's good news. I went through the other day. They were uh, the Kings had fifteen wins, and at that point, I looked and I said, "Okay, how many games do I think they're going to win?" And I, I, this is shocking. I came away with 44, looking, I, at, looking at the list. That's what I think is going to happen. They're going to win 44 games, and then I'm going to be fuming because if they had just done whatever they'll end up figuring out for the second half of the season, if they had just done that in the first 10 to 20 games, they'd have gotten the 47, and it's going to just eat at me all summer long. It's possible they could have got to 50 if it wasn't for games like the Pelicans, the Timberwolves twice, the Charlotte Hornets, the Portland Trailblazers, the Philadelphia 76ers. I mean, those are games that you can't get back. But at this point, I'm going to throw it all out the window because I do really like the way that they're, you know, we've talked about this in the past, the process. And I think last week we talked about how they're starting to plug guys in and get them going inside of the process. That's part of the process is learning how to use a guy like Marco Bellinelli or learning how to use a guy like Rudy Gay in this new system. And what we're seeing now is that they're figuring out how to win games. Now, they haven't figured out how to hold on to a 17-point third quarter lead, but that doesn't excuse the fact that they continue to win close games down the stretch they're winning games that good teams win where they execute just enough they get just enough stops they hit their free throws and Willie Cauley Stein hitting a pair of free throws in the final like in the final minute that was incredible uh these are things that we're starting to see this team do which they weren't doing before and uh, if you look at their schedule they have a shot here they've won four straight uh, they've got Indiana on Saturday. They've got Charlotte coming in on on Monday, followed by a back to back on Tuesday night in Portland. I, I still I think they've got a chance here to rattle off a bunch of wins right before the All Star break if they don't let up. And that is the issue with this team forever is if they don't let up. Where are you at with sort of the process with this team right now? Right now, Aaron. Uh, the process, okay, we talked about takeaways, and I, I was speaking kind of on a season-long level, but from a game uh, level, Willie Cauley-Stein now deserves a massive role with this team. They are so much better with him on the floor. Advanced statistics agree with that statement. I agree. The eye test agrees with that statement. He does the things that nobody else does and it's important to have that kind of balance and you know why Omri Caspi's advanced statistics are so good is because he's another guy that does the things that nobody else is doing and it just is beautiful to watch that guy play defense and it makes them dangerous so that was a takeaway for tonight so any game that that 
he doesn't play over 25 minutes a game, put it put it on George Carl as a coaching loss if they end up losing because it is just obvious at this point that that guy needs to play. Ben McLemore was the other takeaway. I think he's kind of getting that DGAF thing that we were talking about earlier in the year where if he's going to get all this criticism, he might as well at least go out there and play aggressive. And he did that with, again, some great defense uh, tonight. And those two takeaways are, are really important from your original question, which is how are they doing in the process? Getting those two guys to be nightly contributors is huge because it makes the Kings a much more athletic team, uh, a much more dangerous team. You want those guys to earn their minutes and, and so on and so forth. The rest of it, though, I mean, the third quarter tonight was just something. I mean, you, you got a close game with the Hawks. It hasn't been going well. The offenses look terrible. They're kicking the ball around the yard. You know, it's a classic Kings loss in the making, but they slowed it down. And credit Rajon Rondo at that point, who had a really bad game despite the triple-double tonight. Credit Rajon Rondo for realizing that on four consecutive plays that DeMarcus Cousins needed to get the ball in the post, and everything started clicking. Everybody uh, that got the ball on a swing pass had a defender charging at them, and, and it was just good basketball there for about six minutes. Then in the fourth quarter, they got away from that. And that's kind of where you scratch your head and you say, gosh, you know, you, you, you've got this really easy play. You can do it, but you're not doing it. And nobody in the world understands why they've got to develop offensively to the extent that they know when to push and then when to pull it out. And it starts with Rajon Rondo. He is making some terrible passes. And at this point in time, if, if you know, if 10, 10 assists get you excited you know, I almost think you got to take the turnover number and just pull it off, off the, off the assist total. Um, but he sets the tone for this team, and that the, they do well in transition until they start making mistakes. So if they can take the good, get rid of the bad, and then figure out their identity in the half court, which needs to be Demarcus Cousins in the post, then I think you have kind of like a perfect model of the Kings team. I don't think they're quite there yet. Defensively, they do have some scheme issues that they still need to work out. But the addition of Willie Cauley-Stein, it cleans up a lot of those, those uh, issues. So I think they've got some big core issues to overcome. But, you know, from there, there are some reasons for optimism. I think there are a lot of reasons for optimism. Uh, so I'm going to start with the first thing that, that really keyed off to me and what you said there. Uh, Macklemore has, has played an aggressive style of, of basketball over the last two games. Uh, I think it's three games. So you've seen he's run pluses in all, all three games. He's starting to turn the corner. I, historically, Ben Macklemore really, really struggles in the month of January. I don't know what the issue is, but I've had conversations with him in the past. I had a conversation with him after the game tonight about just this, this swoon that he goes into. I mean, his rookie and sophomore season completely were derailed by the month of January, and they both years it cost him an invitation to the the rookie sophomore challenge. The and it really hurt his feelings. But both of those seasons, he truly didn't deserve to go because of his month of January. Then, as soon as you hit February one, it's like he's a whole other player. And I'm not quite sure what's going on there with, with him. I, I have a feeling it has to do with so much stress and so many people 
visiting and, and coming by and, and wearing him out during the holidays and him getting lost and forgetting that he's a professional basketball player. Uh, but this year, I think we're seeing sort of a different thing. And I'm actually going to attribute to something a little abstract. I'm going to say that he is feeding off the energy of Willie Cauley-Stein and that Willie Cauley-Stein is setting an example as a rookie for a third-year guy and saying, look, you just go out there and play. That's all. You don't worry about anything else. You just go play, Ben. Come with me. Let's just go play. You you hit it right on the head, man. That's why I love Willie Cauley-Stein. He has this fun-loving just – you know, hey man, it's just a game. He draws like, you in. He does. It, it's like, uh, yeah, you know, I, I did this, and why did I do? It? I don't know. I just did it. it. It was cool when I did it, and it was fun when I did it. <laughs> Come on in, hey Ben, get into the game, man. It, and so, yeah, it's infectious, and you do see that out of bed. I, I hadn't put those two together in my head, but that that's a real good observation on your part. I think they are really, really feeding off each other, and I think that we're slowly starting to see. I, I heard Willie Cauley-Stein say it a couple of times the other day. He said, my teammates are starting to show more faith in me on the offensive end. I think it is a trust issue that this team has always had. And I think they're starting to trust Willie. And when they started to trust Willie, it was like, okay, let's just throw it all in a hat and just trust in general. Well, and and so he, they're, he's they're kind of earned it. Well, he ha- well, I mean, he's earned it, but let's be honest, he's only played, you know, what, Since nine- returning. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, but I will say this, like tonight and in the last game, you see him making really good decisions with the ball. And I know it's because he's not looking to score, and that helps you find passing lanes. Because face it, if, you, if you're not thinking about scoring, what else are you thinking about? And so he catches the ball off of a slip, and he's finding the open guy in the corner like a two- to three-year vet. It's it's pretty cool to watch that he's not a total zero on offense because it gives all the justification in the world to play this guy 30 minutes a game. I think at this point you have to play him 30 minutes a game. I think there are specific teams that you're going to run into where you really, really need Kufis to play you know, a good amount of minutes. But at this point, and look, I, I love Costa. He was, on the, he was on the podcast last week. He is an outstanding individual and I really thought he was going to be a perfect fit here as the third big. He is struggling. I mean, watching him miss flips and and all of these. I mean, he was just just jam at home. But, that, but that's a function of the second unit as constructed right now. And I don't know if they need to kind of stagger some minutes for some guys. And Rudy Gay being gone is is a big deal there because Rudy, if if he's staggered into the second unit, can give them a bit of an identity. But they don't have a go-to guy that can break down a defense, especially with Darren Carlson struggling. They just kind of, and with no offense, really. I mean, it's a flow offense with very few principles as far as like, this is what we do when we get down there. It's very much based on feel and flow. And they'll be the first people to tell you that, but they get bogged down so bad. And then they, they look to Kufus as a bailout option and he's not getting it done on that front. But I will say this, Having him as your 20-minute-per-game backup, that's a really, really nice luxury to have in today's NBA. Oh, I think it's a spectacular, spectacular option to have. And I, I think he is kind of struggling because of the other, you know, the other the other pieces around him. You know, I, I wrote an analytics piece. We'll get into that. Uh, we might as well get into it now. I, I wrote an analytics piece. Um, what was that on Tuesday? What is today? 
Uh, Aaron and I are recording the podcast following the Kings. It's Thursday. I'll get you a, a day of the week clock in the mail. Yeah, it's Thursday, but it, it's actually Friday morning while we're recording this podcast. So, you know, it's one of those deals where or, uh, we're, we're trying to get this thing to you so you can have it Friday morning, uh, but we have to record after the games. So um, I, I think it was Tuesday. I wrote an analytics piece, and I'm just going to say George didn't like it. Uh, but what it, it really I, – I tried to break down some of the combinations and players that aren't working for the Kings. And I hate saying this because, again, I really like him, but a lot of the combinations that aren't working are with Costa Kufis at the center position. And lo and behold, when you put Rudy Gay next to Costa – in small ball lineups, it ends up being like you can't recover from it. I, I would like circle that with a giant red pin and say, if you want to know why the Kings have 23 losses, you can probably attribute a huge amount of those to minutes lost by three guard sets that included Rudy Gay at the power forward and Costa Kufis at the center position. Not only can those two not really play well together, it appears, but Rudy Gay can't play the four. They just can't do it. It's 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 really too bad because in theory that should work. But yeah, that Marco Bellinelli doesn't work. Um, the uh, with, with George and his lineups, he's a stubborn guy. He's a stubborn coach. Yes, and he's I, at this point he's taken until game forty two to make changes he hasn't even made yet, and so. You have to think from a King's perspective that he's going to keep going down this road for the foreseeable future, um, and it hurts the team. I, I think that they've really, really got to look at making some significant changes, such as not using Rudy at the four. Marco Bellinelli, I mean, it, it, it's painful to, to watch the defensive game that Ben and Willie had tonight and hear a criticism of them on the final play with Corver getting the three, which I haven't had a chance to look at. Maybe they completely screwed it up, but those guys just played their, their butts off. And Marco Bellinelli is handing guys to the hoop, more or less defensively, not hitting shots. So much percentage of the offense gets run for him and he's not converting at all. Really? No, he's really making life difficult for everyone on that second unit. It's 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 hard. These combinations are, you know, I think at some point the experiment has to end on that. That's part of the development of this team is, you know, you already got Rajon Rondo, who for all of the bad brings so much good to the team as a DeMarcus Cousins whisperer. As a, uh, <laughs> he nice. makes some spectacular plays. I mean, he really does. His I don't know if he's hurt right now. His defense is terrible. The Kings are like five points better with him off the floor, according to basketball reference. Um, you you kind of hope that George would be able to to push him towards a more stable approach to this this up tempo game, and and offensively to to maybe not go for. It's it's weird. You've got. DeMarcus Cousins, if you want to get an assist, you could throw it to the post. Hopefully DeMarcus does something quick with it so you still get the assist. That that would be ideal, but you know, he's still looking for that home run play, um, trying to slip it through somebody's legs to 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 score a bucket. But 
those are the kinds of things I think that are frustrating Kings fans. I know from a watching it perspective, you just kind of go, well, why, why are you guys – you work so hard against yourselves and you could be very, very good if you just streamlined operations and did the most efficient thing. Yeah, I mean – just to like wrap up some of the the advanced stuff though um I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying but i think george he's kind of at a disadvantage because you know the the eyeball test is kind of letting him down so i'll just i'll point to what he said to me when i asked him about analytics the other day and i i thought his his quotes were pretty telling. He said, when I'm rotating uh, rotating the game, it's more based on feel. I think there's a certain, I think there's certain stats that say some guys haven't worked, but I also have reasons why I think sometimes they don't work. I think when you're, when you've had inconsistent lineups, whatever the word is of our injuries and not knowing, I think my feel has a better sense than their analytics. Okay. George Carl has coached in the NBA for a long time. He has 1,100 and what, 60, 61 wins, whatever it is at this point. He has like such a tremendous amount of experience advantage over anyone. And I'm not going to say that I know more than George Carl. I'm just going to say this. The numbers say that Rajon Rondo and Darren Collison in the same lineup don't work. They say that Rajon Rondo and Marco Bellinelli in the same lineup don't work. You're a negative 10 per 100 possessions. And if you keep stacking up these negative 10s and negative 8s and negative 12s that don't work together, you're going to lose games because you, you're then asking your starting group to recover for whatever is lost every single time out. And so I know George loves to go with two point guard sets. And to be honest with you, I think two of the the Kings top like six or seven players, Rondo and Collison. And I would love it if they could fit together and play substantial minutes, especially if that meant that Collison was your real true reserve at the backup two. But it hasn't worked. So you either have to figure out different ways to work you have to change up some of the variables alongside those guys. So maybe Collison and Rondo don't work with Rudy Gay at the four, but maybe they do work with Omri Caspi. So you start finding different combinations of players and, and groups that work together, and then you sort of focus on those as as you're going through your rotational switches. And that's all I'm trying to point out in, in the analytics piece, that I'm never going to say I know more about basketball than George. That's just not, that's crazy talk. George Carl is a legend and he knows exactly what he's doing most of the time. But it's, it's almost to me like, it's like if you're driving and you think you know where you're going, but you're not quite sure. And the person in the passenger seat has GPS and they're saying, that's exactly right. They're saying, let me, let me try to get you there. And you're saying, no, I think I know how to get there, and I'm going to get there on my own. You you just nailed it on the head because coaching is one of the most difficult things in the world, just like refereeing. If you've ever refereed a basketball oh, it's game, horrible. it's one of the most yeah. painful experiences in the world because it's too fast for and you. There's no redeeming qualities to be a referee. I don't know if you <laughs> saw uh, one of the refs. I can't remember who it was. 
he tripped over a cameraman and it looked like he might have like broke his ankle and he fell flat on his face in one of the games tonight. Yeah, 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 Denver. Oh, it was brutal. Oh, that was but, horrible. But, but with coaching, but, go ahead. you have all these responsibilities. You are a CEO. You're a psychiatrist. You're a... You have a lot of hats. Fill yes. in the blanks. And here comes this game that when we're watching it on Twitter, we have the benefits of like, I, I follow 10 to 20 people whose opinions I trust, and that helps me understand what's going on in real time. And I don't have to do anything else other than that. You know, I can hit the rewind button and see exactly what happened on a play and talk about it five seconds later. He's doing it in a jam-packed arena playing. If it's Sacramento, they're playing good music. But if it's somewhere else, they're probably playing like <laughs> Macklemore or something. Can you imagine trying to think with Macklemore going on in the background and – all that comes with an NBA game, it's hard. So, yeah, you hit it right on the head there because I just think we can look at this. I feel like the Kings start off at a 20-point deficit every night because of the system limitations, the lineups, and everything else that you've got going on. And there are that, plenty of things. That you, Aaron, you're right. There are plenty of things. Like when it, I looked at the line tonight and they were they were favored by one over the Hawks, I was like – Man, how did you come up with that? Because I know you get, you know, you take away for injuries. I know that you get a uh, you get a plus three for being at home, but then you start throwing in all these other variables that we're talking about. The you know the five possessions that you give up every game. You know, I, I watched specifically in this game. I watched Demarcus Cousins get hit on top of the head in the third, late third, early fourth. He got it was a fourth. He got donked on top of the head. I watched all of the Hawks bench pointing at DeMarcus Cousins at the other side, yelling at their teammates to hoist up three-pointers because they knew no one was underneath to get the, the rebound because they knew DeMarcus was on the other end. They had all, you could see that they had planned for a moment when Cousins didn't get back and they were all pointing to it. And that's, that's a what you really, sh- that's a sharp team, sharp coach over there. They constantly do the right things. And, yeah. and I watched all 30 teams, people like the, the Kings offense is, it's the worst in the league. <laughs> the when it comes, is just the worst. <laughs> it is the worst in the league when it comes to the guh factor. Like, what are you guys but doing? They're, they're the number three offensive team in the league. If you no, 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 rating, no, 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 they're number ten. No, they're number fourteen. I think in offense right now. In offensive rating, I had them at number ten. Just like I, maybe it was yesterday. And, and I'm, I'm glad you bring that up because there are things that you can do to get a better offensive rating, i.e. score points, i.e. get easier shots, i.e. fast break. And the Kings have a very good effective field goal percentage. They have a very good field goal percentage. It's, it's like fool's gold, though, because what are you doing to get those numbers? Well, you're leaking a couple guys out. Well, what happened to the glass? You know, what happens? But everyone in the league is cherry picking at this point. No one, it, offensive rebounds are almost almost extinct. That's, there's a couple of teams in the league that haven't given up on offensive rebounding and they, they kill you with offensive boards and you're like, oh, how did that happen? And the answer is it happened because league-wide, there's like a gentleman's agreement that none of us are going to go get a rebound uh, on the offensive end. We're all except just for Except rebound. for Rajon Rondo. Yeah, exactly. and, and you heard Doc Rivers yeah. talk about it the other night. Doc Rivers said he had to have a conversation with Rondo. He's like, hey, if you're going to rebound from the guard position, I need you to sprint back because you're killing us on the break. Yeah. 
And... Okay, so so let's look. I have their their first, uh, their third in in points, one hundred and six point four. Their first in pace still uh, at ninety nine point six. Offensive dri- rating that drives the 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 points ranking. Yeah, their offensive rating is a one oh six, which is ninth best in the league. Their defensive rating is a one oh seven point five, which is twenty second in the league. Something that has climbed dramatically. There was a point where they were 30th in the league in defensive rating. They are really, really, really turning the page on the defensive end. Even though, I mean, they're not going to have beautiful nights every night. But even if you look at the Atlanta game, they held Atlanta to 88 points on 41.7% shooting. I mean, they did do a good job defensively against a very, very good Hawks team. So... So again, like Aaron, we could beat the dead horse. And like, look, I'm not saying that George Carl needs to be fired. That's the most ridiculous thing ever. (laughs) And people have said, oh, you're just trying to like stir the pot or trying to get him fired. No, you know what? It was a midway point of the season and I don't do grades. I think grades are ridiculous and arbitrary. And you know what? I I would rather, as opposed to like throwing out grades, I I would rather throw out percentages and throw out numbers that can somehow lead to something better. And that's all I was doing. I was just showing like, look, you know, it, it always reminds me of every single time I do one of these things. It always reminds me of the original Batman with Michael Keaton when uh, the Joker starts putting like poison in like deodorant and makeup. And if you mix, you know, this makeup with this hairspray, then it will kill you. And if you miss this with this, then you'll die. Uh, but if you just use this product and, and not that product, you're going to be okay. You know, and they show like the news people are trying to explain this and they've got no makeup on and they're just, they look horrible. Uh, that's what it always reminds me of. The Kings are just, they're choosing a few things off the shelf that don't mix. And when you do that, you hurt yourself. And I think 41 games, 40 games at the point that I wrote that piece, it was enough to look at and say, look, if you want to win, let's say, I, I, I mean, the Kings aren't going to win 70% of their games from here on out. But let's say you want to go 6-4. and four. You want to win. You want to try to hold yourself to a 60% standard for the rest of the season, which is still ridiculously high. You have to look at every avenue that can help you improve as a team. And one of those avenues is to look at advanced statistics and say, okay, I'm going to take out like the five or eight lineups that haven't worked at all, the five mixtures of players, and I'm going to take them and I'm going to flush them down the toilet. And anytime I try to put them in together, a giant red buzzer is going to go off. One of the coaches, one of the assistants is in charge of telling me, nope, you can't do that lineup. That one doesn't work. Now, it's not because you have to abandon everything. But if you want to win a 60% clip of your games, you can't experiment anymore. You have to do what you do right and do it more often. And that is all I was trying to suggest. Really. Yeah, and that, that's all this is, is you're, you are at the midpoint of the season. The trends, the law of large numbers is somewhat kicked in. There's enough to look at for it to have gravity. And yeah, the combos that need to go, they need to go. Um, you know, being 27th ranked in turnovers, you know, that that's a, a clear symptom of, of your offense, you know, having 
issues taking care of the ball. Maybe it's time to slow it. Pace, yeah. Yeah, it has, maybe it's time to slow it down a little bit, throw it to your big guy and get a good result every single time he touches the ball. You know, that kind of stuff. With George, he is experimenting. This is his grand experiment, pulling a massive big man, big man beyond the three-point line and letting him run the offense from the top. And maybe it would maybe it would work in year three. Maybe it would work in year two. I don't know that it's going to turn around this season. I do think they're going to consistently improve, though. Even if they stay if they stay with the spread and they don't go to Cousins more than five times per game in the post, I think they're going to continuously improve at this. It's just not going to be. It's not going to work. Meaning they're going to continue to lose leads. They're going to continue to be inconsistent. They will be at that twenty point deficit before the game starts. That's the part that you want to get rid of um, because really beyond that, he is a great coach and he, he's just at this point got to get over, you know, the stubbornness of this particular aspect of the system. Yeah. And really the one thing that I think can hurt you long term if you keep doing what's happening right now is that the Kings can come back and win games. We, we've seen that even, you know, in the Atlanta game. The Kings, again, they went up by 17 in the third quarter. They were lights out. As soon as they put their bench in, it was like someone hit them over the head with a sledgehammer. The problem isn't that you you know, gave some guys some minutes or that you blew a lead. It's that in order to win the game, you have to go back to Cousins every single time. And so over the course of a season, especially in the second night of a back-to-back, I mean, Cousins ends up playing 39 minutes, and you're like, well, he's only 25 years old. He's 25 years old, and he weighs like 280 pounds, and he's, he's six foot eleven, and his feet hurt him every single game. I watch him after games; his feet hurt. You know, it is what it is. I mean, he plays. He's in playing more possessions per game. That's that too. Yeah, yeah. Well, pace. I mean, yeah, you're playing crazy. I mean, they're they're t- he's touching the ball so many times. I mean, his usage rate. It's well above 30. I think he leads the league in usage. But you know what? He also leads the league in scoring in the month of January. He also uh, averages, oh, what's he, like 31-7 coming into the Atlanta game and and 13.7 rebounds per game. I mean, he's averaging on the season over 26 points a game. Uh, he's almost to 12 rebounds a game. I mean, this guy is, he's not just an all-star. He's a star, and he's really, really close to having that moment where you look at him and say, holy cow, I think he's he's a superstar. You're, you're really close to that moment. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, he's the most uncoverable player in the NBA, like bar none, like right now. It, it, it doesn't look pretty. It's not being executed. It's not He's not at the top of the list. But if you were to build an offense around him and let him, you know, like with the Kings and the posting up, like they need to work on this stuff not in practices, but in games and get comfortable with the angles. Like some of their post entry angles are ridiculous. Um, you know, Rondo's probably the best guy passing into the post, but sometimes his guy aggressively doubles. And how does the, how do the Kings shift and react and give cousins passing lanes? Because he has to make a touch pass to a guy now, not just a pass pass. He can't catch it and think those guys have to change their positions on the floor to create passing lanes. They're not doing that because the idea of throwing it into the post is completely antithetical to what the offense is all about. So they have to start installing this stuff yesterday 
and and make it look good. And by the time they did it three or four times in a row in the third quarter tonight, they looked pretty damn good at it. Um, so they need to build that kind of stuff up so he can realize his potential because at his size, with his handles, with his ability to finish with both hands, his ability to shoot. I mean, and now he's getting the mental aspect of the game figured out. There's not a lot of, I mean, it's like Shaquille O'Neal if he could shoot and make free throws. I mean, that's really <laughs> what we're talking about. There's not a player in the league that's got that size-speed combo and the balance. You, uh, to- Yeah, it's almost like you're talking about a, uh, man, a seven inches taller Charles Barkley with better range. Yeah. And so, like, there's not, I mean, you could talk about LeBron and you could talk about KD. Like, there's ways that you can slow down KD. There's ways that you can slow down LeBron, and that's been proven, you know, kind of year after year so far. But you could never slow down Shaq. You, you just couldn't. I mean, he would. You just prayed that he would miss. Yeah, and you had to put a lot of guys up there, and you had to foul him six times with like three guys. And that's the that's what you're looking at here with Cousins. So the sooner they get to working on that aspect of his game, everything else will come naturally. I mean, heck, they've played 40 games with him at the top of the key. He's got plenty of practice. You know, if you want to run him 50% of the time in the post and 50% of the time up at the top of the key, that's probably a pretty optimal mix. I'd probably like him to go down low a little bit more. But, you know, you do still get that same dynamic package. You just have to realize that opposing teams don't want to have to deal with him in the post. Opposing teams are going to get into foul trouble. It's going to impact their defense straight across the board. You just got to do it. Just do it. (laughs) Fix it. Just do it. it. Yeah. Okay. So, so I, I want to bring up one last thing that, uh, before we get out of here, uh, Willie Cauley Stein, we talked about him a little while ago. Uh, the thing that I think is really, really impacted the Kings in a positive way over the last few games that it's, it's not Willie Cauley Stein, the, the defender, because I think that's fun to watch and he's been great. And that naturally is what he does. He is a very, very good defender. But his rebounding numbers have gone through the roof. He said mm-hmm. he's been watching angles. He's been looking at angles. He's starting to use his brain as a rebounder. I wish I even made a suggestion to him that he would just go watch a whole lot of footage of Dennis Rodman because Dennis Rodman understood where the ball was going at all times. I mean, at like six seven and like you know 225 pounds, Rodman was averaging like 17, 18 rebounds a game for a great Bulls team. And, you know, sure, they're a great team. And he had the ability to go get every rebound. They just let him do it. But that's not changed the the argument here. He He's a guy that you could model your rebounding game after if you're Willie Cauley-Stein. He has a similar uh, vertical leap to what Rodman had as a young player. Uh, Rodman was, you know, super long, a lot like him, just not nearly as big and tall. Uh, so I, that's one thing. The other thing I'm going to say about Willie Coley Stein, his offensive game, like, puts a smile on my face. He, by running the floor, he collapses the opposing defense. The opposing defense has to get back because now they're worried that Rondo is going to run down the floor and throw a lob to to Willie Coley Stein. And so you're seeing one or two or three guys jump back to stop Coley Stein. And of course, what that does is it leaves the trailer for Cousin, 
uh, Cousins at, at the elbow. It leaves Rondo with so many options, including Caspi, who's sprinting to the corner. I think it just really opens things up. You're seeing Rudy Gay getting a bunch of easy dunks as the second man through. And I think that his offensive development is shocking because I didn't think he would be sort of, he's not like, oh my gosh, look at all these things he can do. But his intensity at the rim, his ability to go get the ball is like an NFL wide receiver. Uh, and and then he popped a 17 foot jumper the other night. What was that all about? I mean, again, we haven't seen the best of Willie Cauley-Stein, and I think that's oh. what everyone needs to know. We have not seen even a glimmer of what he can do. Keep in mind all of the first-round picks that played next to him over the last three seasons at Kentucky. The best big men in the country that went in the draft all played alongside Willie Cauley-Stein. He never needed to be an offensive threat, and he doesn't need to in Sacramento either because he's got DeMarcus Cousins next to him. But the the potential there is limitless. He can do a lot more than what we've already seen. Yeah, I'll try to keep this down, but you know, to wax poetic about Willie Cauley Stein, yes, he is at the bottom of his development, and he is going to learn so much. I, it's you know what you don't hear lately is talk about Emmanuel Mudiay being some sort of bust, you know, pass that that uh, Vlade Divac made because man, Willie. 121 offensive rating per basketball uh, reference coming in tonight. That's an insane number. And for him, you know, if you look at, at net differentials for ratings on off numbers for these guys, you've got DeMarcus is obviously real high at 10.8. Omri Caspi is even higher at a positive 13.6. Uh, but right behind them, third is, is Willie Cauley Stein at a positive 9.2. That means when he's on the floor, the Kings score 9.2 points per 100 possessions more than the other team. And it's reflected in his offensive play and it's reflected in his rebounding. It's reflected in his defense and defensively watching him. There's one flaw to his game. He needs to close out on shooters better, but everything else, him and DeMarcus as a tandem are scary. And they gave us flashes of that tonight against a very good front court. Paul Millsap and Al Horford have been tearing opposing teams up all season long the Kings get a big win. I, I said to somebody on Twitter that this was a, a huge game because it was either going to send them back after a really bad Lakers win. And yes, that was a bad win. And yes, you guys get to cheer the heck out of it. Like, you know, go crazy. Be be excited about the eight seed. That wasn't a good win, though. Going into this, this game against Atlanta, it was either going to reinforce all of the negativity that's kind of dogged them about being inconsistent or it was going to send them to a new level. And I think that they've achieved that. And I just, I, I wouldn't want to play these guys in the first round if I'm anybody, because you got to deal with the big guy. I think the one team that scares you, and it's the reason why the Kings are going to try to claw and, and do everything in their power to get out of the eight spot. You just, there's nothing you can do. The Warriors can drop 25 on you in like a four minute stretch at any time and just break your will. They, and, they need to get the thunder or the Clippers. And if they get either of them, I think it'll be a fun series. I'll put it I'll put it to you like that, Kings fans. I think it would be a fun series. I completely agree. If they can get either of those team, uh, man, the bad blood between them and the Clippers, oh, <laughs> what a series that would be. Oh, that would be so basketball gods. So much Jeez. fun to watch. I mean, really that would be 
spectacular. Can you imagine the chaos in L.A. if they lose that series? Oh, my God. The, the, the whole thing would just go to hell. they just blow it up. Blow they would. Up. Bl- I think if they lost to the Kings, they would blow that up. Yeah, but I, I still, it would be fun. It would be a fun series to watch. And I, I don't know that the Kings have the horses to guard uh, Blake and, and you know, to stop Chris Paul. Every, but I'm just saying, like, look, there's so much bad blood. They, those teams, they, I mean, DeMarcus said it, they hate each other. See, that would be a lot of fun to watch. It'd be a lot of fun to cover, to go back and forth between the two games. I, Rondo I just, versus Rivers? Yeah, I, I just think that if you're going to... If you're going to go into a playoff series with the Golden State Warriors, you're going to be happy if you get one win. And I think if you're going to go into a four-game series with the uh, the San Antonio Spurs, you're either going to get swept, you're going to win one, or in the weirdest possible way, maybe you win two. You're not going to beat that team. But the other guys, you just don't know. And the way that, that Houston is playing right now, holy cow. They're not a factor. The seventh spot is just sitting there for the taking. And then you I don't look, think they'll make the playoffs. Well, that's very possible. You look at Dallas, again, another team that at any moment, you know, the at any moment, like the AARP people could come by and ask for all their senior citizens. <laughs> Give us Dirk back. We're going to need <laughs> your senior citizens. They're not allowed to play NBA basketball. I, no, I mean, that the team is fragile, and it's so well-coached. They're so ready to play every night. They're such professionals. They all know their roles, but at the same time, that that is ripe for the picking. You know, at, you know, Memphis is right there. There are a lot of teams right there that haven't. They've proven things in the past, but they haven't proven anything this year that they can they can get out of their own way. And I think you know the Kings are they're in a good position to uh, to have a successful season. And I guess that's all we can ask for after. 10 years of real misery. They got six, eight, eight games that are winnable in the next like eight games. Chicago is the only one. <laughs> the next eight games. How do you like that analysis? I, no, uh, I looked no, at the 11 not, games before the All-Star break. The 11 yeah. games before the All-Star break, I think they can go eight and three. And they I, can go into the All-Star break at 27-26. They could also go 3-8 and eight because they are the Sacramento Kings. <laughs> and then that would put them at like 22-31. and 31 And everyone would be like, but, you know, pitchforks. And and, and, yeah. and it's up to George. If he wants to make the change and put Cousins in the post 60% of the half-court sets, he can do that. And, and I think the Kings will then win well over, like, not well over, but they'll win over 40 games and maybe flirt with 45 see people i'm just trying to give george you know some some basic directions aaron is trying to like kick him into the the back seat and say i'm driving this bus i'm driving this bus (laughs) well hey you know i mean it's obvious i i just i I don't know how to put it it's obvious and it's prove me wrong you know prove me wrong stick him in the post for three quarters of the time for a five-game stretch and prove me wrong. Chain them to the post. I, and I, I think that I think that it'll be easy. I think the Kings will enjoy quite a bit quite a bit of success if they just stick to that script. Hmm. All right. So I think that's going to do it for this edition of the uh, the Kings Insider podcast. I, I'm going to hit Aaron up for final thoughts. What do you got? Uh, Isaiah Thomas is going to be an All Star. How crazy is that? Hey, I think that's awesome. 
I think it's a great story. Is he for sure going to be an all star? Or no, not not for sure. I just think that they can't give it to Kyrie. Uh, Reggie Jackson hasn't hasn't done what Isaiah's done, and John Wall will get it. They, he could still be snubbed, but I mean, you saw it on TNT tonight. All of the guys had him on their team. I just think that that this is the year he finally gets the respect he deserves. And I think all of the guys had Demarcus Cousins on their All Star team as well. And they if did. and if you don't, and you work for TNT and you're on that panel, you probably shouldn't, because Demarcus Cousins, the way he's playing, the way he's played this season, he's a top five player in the NBA. If you snub him and and you bring someone. You know, Tim Duncan is a great, but he's not an all-star anymore. Dirk Nowitzki is not an all-star anymore. Zaza Pajulia, uh that that Travis Shama mockery, <laughs> that just ended. That You know what that should do, Aaron? That should end, end fan uh, voting. It uh, should end he almost voting. started. If Kobe was a, a guard, then Zaza Pachulia is your starter in the front court. <laughs> Yeah, those people who who decided to figure out a way to rig the fan voting probably should have just spent all that time and energy trying to win Powerball like two weeks ago. Probably. I was going to say, when's Woj going to tweet out the the Powerball numbers for all of us? Yeah, so, so we can we can all get a little bit of a a couple squares of bread out here. Come on, Woj. There you go. All right. So hey, that is going to do it for this edition of the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. A special thank you to Corliss Williamson, the big nasty, for coming in in the first half. A very, very good interview by a guy who has done a lot for Sacramento. He's been around Sacramento for a long time. Uh, two stints as a player, and now a stint as, a, as an assistant coach. He outlasted, outlived all of these assistants that have gone by the wayside from the Michael Malone, Tyrone Corbin, George Carl era. Uh, so very good guy, very good interview. Thanks for coming in, Corliss Williamson. Uh, we will be back next week. Hopefully we will have a really super long win streak to talk about at that point. I think it would be like, I don't know, eight games, seven games. The Kings would be rolling. Everything would be great. We wouldn't be talking about the eight seed anymore because everyone else would be fading so that would be a good thing. So like us on Facebook, uh, follow us on Twitter, give us tweet a us. like on iTunes, tweet us. Yeah, you can tweet us questions anytime. We don't usually promote that, but you can tweet us questions anytime you'd like. We're never going to take call-ins because I'm not a call-in guy. But uh, yeah, thank you for tuning in to the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. We'll see you next week.